Hello, everybody. Here's Alex and Danny doing the Daily Weird. Yes, the Daily Weird. First up is Kakapo's giant New Zealand flightless parrots. They are found on the island of New Zealand and, well, they were imported from New Zealand and to try and save the species by a man. I forget his name, but I read about him in a book. There's like almost 200 pairs of these birds left. Oh, wow. They're very rare. Um... Ask away, what are your questions about cacapos? Uh, uh, are they like a parakeet? or They're a parrot. They're in the parrot family, but they're kind of like emus or ostriches. They don't fly. Oh, they don't? So they're flightless. They're big. They live underground, and they make a booming call. Like, mmm, mmm, mmm. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, the males make a booming call at night to attract the females. And lately, their love calls have gone unanswered because of how rare they are. They're very, very rare parrots. Oh, wow. And they're trying to save them, but yeah. it's, it's a hard battle because you got cats, you got other animals on the islands, rats that eat the eggs. So they have a book about them I was reading in the library, and it talked about how they rear kakapo chicks and take care of them. Wow. To help the parents lay more eggs because if the parents lose an egg, they lay another one. So they're trying to up the breeding so they can up the population. They do that with a lot of different birds, like condors and vultures and things like that. Vultures are condors, but... Yeah. So it's almost like a dodo, almost. Kind kind of, of. but dodos lived on islands and they actually died out because humans overhunted them. The kakapo was a little bit similar, but mostly from the animals that were brought over. Not necessarily from the people as much. Got it. Okay. So, the green and brown, and they look huge. They look really adorable, like fluff, stuffed, stuffed toy kind of like nice. thing. They're really iconic. And, yeah. So, that's. Do you want to move on? Sure. That that sounds like an interesting bird. Yeah, it is an interesting bird. And um, you said it was flightless. Yes, flightless. Okay. There are a number of birds who can't fly. There's the kakapo, yeah. the ostrich, the emu, the cassowary, the moa, which is extinct. A lot of flightless birds are very dangerous. Like the cassowary can kick you with its feet, and it's extremely aggressive. The males wow. and the females are like twice as big as the males, yeah. and they will they don't play. They will kick you and hurt you, and yeah, very Dang. dangerous birds. Yeah. Um. Anyway, what I'm next is giants of the Mekong, critically endangered Mekong catfish and giant Siamese carp. Do you know about these fish? I know about the Japanese no, carp. No, the, the Asian carp. These the are Asian like carp. Asian yeah. carp, but they are very rare mega fish. Oh, the, okay. They both can grow to be bigger than a car. Oh, and wow. both can grow to be hundreds of pounds in weight and can feed a village if you catch one. But the problem is people these days have been damming their migratory spawning routes. Okay. Where they go up, they go migrate from the T-Sap Lake all the way up the Mekong to the to the sea and all that. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when they when they dam those rivers, they stop their spawning and then the species collapses. And the fishing, the over the fishing is insanity over there. They catch them with nets. They catch them with trawls. They're using minnows for bait. They're using everything for bait, and they don't understand that it's not a take-all system. The Mekong is basically a dead river in a lot of areas because people are stupid. People take and take and take, and they don't give, and they just expect 
And when you expect something, you should never expect anything that, that, that you know, that you're given. Because exactly. you're not going to always have it. And these fish are teetering on the brink of extinction because of humanity's actions. Wow. Humanity is poisoning the rivers, industrial pollution. There's no regulation in that river hardly. Wow. People are eating fish from that river, and the fish probably are worse than the Mississippi. Because the Mississippi, at least in America, we have laws protecting our water and laws mm. protecting our stuff. But yeah. over in Asia, it's a third world some areas are a third world country. Yeah. And so they don't have that. And you get all these problems. Yeah. The Mekong catfish is a migratory species, as I said before, and it can grow to be over 600 pounds and 10 to 9 feet long and be a meter wow. thick. It's a huge, huge migratory catfish. Dang. And the Siamese carp is the world's biggest carp. People catch them. And there's actually a lake in... Um, Asia, where you can go catch them. It's a commercialized lake. It's in, I think it's in Southeast Asia somewhere, Thailand. And you can catch these big mega fish, but they, they're rare. In their wild habitat, they are extremely rare. So if you catch one, please let it go because they are dying out. Yeah. And it's not good to eat those fish anyway uh -huh. because of all the pollution in their yep. bodies. I mean, that's why you get all those kids that are born without arms or without legs because yeah. of the it, it doesn't affect you so much river pollution it affects the life you sire it yeah. affects the new life because it goes into your reproductive systems and all Got that it, stuff. yeah yeah so um yeah that's the giants of the mekong they can be domesticated partially but they're better off in the wild you never want one in an aquarium because of how big they get even a exactly. public aquarium couldn't house a giant carp or cat Dang. They just get too big. Yeah. I mean, the Siamese catfish and Siamese carp can grow to be gigantic. I mean, there was a guy who had one, had two of them visit in his backyard riverfront house, and he fed them for years, and then one year they were gone because commercial fishermen got them. They were wow. so big. They were over 400 pounds apiece, and their heads were big enough to suck a man's head into this gigantic fish. Gigantic. That's crazy. Yeah. They're the biggest catfish and carp in the world. Nice. All right. What else is there? Well, uh, is you know how you see those fish in uh, Star Wars? You know, the, the newer Star Wars. Well, not the newer Star Wars. But the, like what the, the, the I can't remember it was the second one. With, I don't uh, really watch Star Wars. So okay, because there was a fish that was like a mega fish. A mega that, fish is basically a terminology that people use for fish that can grow larger than 100 pounds and 5 okay, feet long. It's basically it. a zoological thing. So, I mean, they never get as big as like a person. Oh, they? yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, they do. The, the, okay. the Mekong catfish grows bigger than a person, weighs more than a person, stronger than a wow. person. So, the Mekong. Okay. Uh, um, carp yeah. too. Those that are the was biggest a, that fish was in the my world. Look like, them up on the internet. They yeah, are gigantic. Nice. Okay. They're the biggest fish in the world. Wow. And the giant stingray can be oh, that's another mega fish that can be like four or five meters around and weigh over a thousand pounds. Okay. Yeah, big stingrays in Asia too. But there were people that have gone to Asia and seen the rivers over there and not to say bad about anybody, but those rivers are so bad that they're probably not going to be able to sustain those people. And if those people do not clean up their act, 
they will die. Yeah. Everyone will die. Wow. So anyway, the socialized of insects, bees, wasps, ants, hornets, termites. Okay, so what does this tell you? Like what what do you want to know about the socialized of insects? Well, uh, do they socialize with each other? Yes. First of all. Yes. And then the they second thing. They do some of humanity's darkest things okay. like slavery, cannibalism, um, nursing. Well, that's not dark, but. Because I know, like, uh, like I think we discussed last time that the, uh, the praying mantis bites off the head of the. His, female. The, the, As he the, 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 yeah. yeah, I think yeah. that might have been discussed. I know we talked a little bit about bees and how they're declining. Yeah. Um, almost all bees are social, but only a few of them will really know a lot about. Okay. There's like a thousand to five hundred different species of bee in North America. Because I was, I noticed like four different ones. Because there's like the bumblebee, and there's, there's that big butt, that. and then they have the, the wasp, the hornet. The bumblebees the, actually are a very diverse group. There's like seven or six species in Minnesota. Oh, you have wow. to look. If you talk to Lauren Yu, she's our art director at MSS. Yep. She has a, a life scientist friend who cool. knows a lot about bees and actually said to me, and actually I have a little writing about how to help bumblebees, but bumblebees and other bees are in trouble because of people spraying and people... Pesticides, eating, right? Pesticides, yeah. Yeah. the way people garden them and land, the fact that the native flowers are so depleted. Yeah. But there are other more common insects like ants, but a lot of those ants are imports from other countries, so they're kind of invasive too. Yeah. Hornets. They have their place, believe it or not. I know that they sting and they hurt like a mother blankety-blank, but they are important for controlling cutworms and other pests. Uh, a large wasp nest can eat a lot of cutworms nice. and a lot of soft-bodied insects. Now, there are different types of hornets. Some of them are pests, some of them are not. The Asian giant hornet is necessary in the wild, but it can be devastating for honeybee farmers because it can kill their whole hive to get at the grubs and honey. Wow. Termites. You hear about the termites that work in controls and all that. Yeah. They are actually a bad thing here in Minnesota. They're not something you want. They will destroy your house. They will. They're actually from Europe, mm -hmm. so they're not native to here. So they should be eradicated. I'm not for working like exterminating bees and other things like that. But termites can destroy <laughs> a house, and they're not native. And you get one, they'll infest. They'll yeah. just infest. And they have a bacteria in their gut that allows them to digest cellulose which is in wood. So they can eat wood and digest it. They're one of the few animals that can do that. Did you know that? Well, I knew the termites would eat wood, but I didn't know how they would they eat it. They do it in a bacteria. A bacteria okay. helps them do that. Got it. Um, That's pretty neat. But ants, like I said, ants have warriors. Like certain ant breeds will like have warrior ants, and the nurse ants will have to feed them because they can't feed themselves. All they're good for is fighting. Got it. Um, some ants squirt acid from their head. Other ants mm -hmm. make nests out of each other or silk and leaves. Some ants will take over the nest of other ants and live in the trees or live underground. Most ants live underground. Most of these plants, I mean most of these, not plants, most of these insects are ground dwellers. Got they it. live underground and sometimes in houses and things like that too because they mistake them for ground. They don't know. Um... I think 
In another Daily Weird, we should talk about bees in terms of how to save them and how to help them. Yeah, that'd be good. But not this Daily Weird. This Daily Weird may have other points. Um, move on. Silk moths. Yeah, silk moths of Minnesota and North America. This is something, again, you don't see a lot of because they sprayed for gypsy moths. When gypsy moths were accidentally introduced, they sprayed for gypsy moths to control the gypsy moth population while it killed a native cernic. So now we have very, very few of these in the Midwest because of how people have sprayed. Luckily, they can make a lot of eggs. So once areas have been depleted, they can recover if given the chance. Gotcha. Plant trees like cherry, apple, pin cherry, black cherry, apple, birch, maple, elm, those kinds of trees, some of them grow to be very big, so do read up, will feed these silk moths. Nice. Now they have a very, very high metabolism rate as babies. Oh, okay. They only maybe five percent of them live to see adulthood. Oh. That's wow. why they lay so many eggs. Got it. And they actually lack a mouth and digestive system as adults. They have no way of eating food as an adult. They just have sex, mate, lay eggs, pretty much. Got a main caboose. Wow. What species of silk moth have you ever seen? Describe to me the different types of species you may have seen. Uh, just the ones that I've seen that come into the house. And okay, sometimes... those are probably not silk moths. No. If you saw a silk moth, you would scream because their their flight, their wingspan is like four to five inches. They're gigantic. Oh wow! The polythemus moth has a wingspan of like three and a half to four inches. Yeah. The cecropia moth has a wingspan of like four. Four inches, bigger than a monarch butterfly, yeah. but still. And they're very beautiful. They're also they called are. robin moths because they have red on them. They have okay. red and brown and white, and they have really beautiful designs. And the way to sex them is the antenna. The female's antenna are smaller. The males are big because the female, after she breaks out of her cocoon, pumps a night full of pheromones. And the, fem the male can smell the pheromones from miles away. And he zones in on her, they mate, then she lays eggs, and she can lay hundreds and hundreds of eggs on the favorite host tree. Got it. Okay. Now, there are four species found in North America that I know of. The polythemus, which has got eye spots and is brown. The luna, which you see on the luna, luna sedation um, commercial. Yeah. The sleep aid. Yeah. That's a luna moth. That's a cernid. Nice. Then you got your cecropia, cecropia moth. Then you have the hickory horned devil. Then you have an io moth, and there's a few other lesser known species, but that pretty much wraps up Cernid for North America. For South America, Asia, there are others, but we're just going to stick to the ones in North America because nice. they're the ones you're going to see. Yeah. Now, luna moths are kind of neat because they lay, they lay their eggs on oak trees. Okay. And the caterpillars that hatch make their cocoon from oak leaves. When they're done, when they're ready to spin. Now, wild silk moths do have make silk, like the silk you would make, use in a clothing. Okay. But it's not really that marketable. It's more wild. It's not as great. But it's still silk, so they call them silk moths for that reason. Got it. Yeah. And they're so rare now that if you see one, you don't want to kill it. And the best way to help these guys is to plant their native plants keeping in mind that they do grow in trees, and also turn off your lights. Lights confuse moths. Lights are like the moon to moths. So if you can help it, 
Turn off your lights because the light will make the moth confused and lose its way in the night. Okay, that goes cool. for all moths. It doesn't yeah. just go for this giant silk of moths. And is it true that you're not supposed to touch the moths because they, they collect dust on their wings? Uh, yeah, you know, they do collect dust on their wings, but that's true of all Lepidoptera. Moths and butterflies do that. Okay. They're that's, not something I would recommend you wear gloves, like with amphibians, if you're ever handling yeah. a salamander or a frog, yeah. the best thing to do is glove up and wear gloves because they your oils from your hand will hurt them. Got it. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's the silk moths of Minnesota and North America. Nice. Now, this is an interesting topic. Okay. This is one I'm going to talk a lot about. Save the slipperiums and tall grass prairie plants. I want you to guess and tell me your honest answer. How much of the prairie remains in Minnesota? How much do you think actually remains from those days? From the pioneer, from the lady... In the prairie, whatever. I'd say 30. No, much, much lower. Percentage. Really? Little House on the Prairie was a different, distant memory. The steelhead plow was invented, and most of that soil was very rich. So, how much do you think actually remains of the Minnesota Prairie? Well, if it's not 30, then I'd have to say probably 10. No, lower than that. Really? Less than. 2% of the original prairie remains in Minnesota, and only like a third of that is in good health. Most of it's restored, most of it is on DNR land, privately owned. But prairies are precious, and you really gotta conserve them because once they're gone, they take a long time to replace. And a lot of the prairie animals are very rare these days because of how rare the prairie is. Got it. Prairies are actually more endangered than the Amazon rainforest. We have more Amazon equatorial rainforest than we do America's grassland. The prairie a long time ago used to stretch for 280,000 acres all the way from Minnesota, Canada to, to Texas. Wow. All okay. that area used to be a belt of different prairie habitats. Yeah. And what happened is people had a different mindset back then. They didn't see the earth as something that can be conserved. They just saw it as, take it, take it, take it. And they took all the land, and then they plowed and did a lot of damage. And there were a few people who stood up. But back then, they were seen as freaks, you know? Hold on. Yeah, they were seen as unorthodox and just not really paid attention to. And there were... Elizabeth Farmham was one of the women who spoke out for the prairie, and she actually conserved a lot of it. She wrote a poem, or well, one of her poems. She wrote, And through the long, long summer hours the golden light doth lie, and thick young herbs and flowers stand in their beauty by. The oriole doth build and tell his love tale close beside thy cell, and there are heard the housewife bee and hummingbird. Hmm. That was something that she wrote. And there were others who tried to save the prairie and restore, like Edward Butler, who made a Minnesota paradise for plants. It still stands to this day. But the prairie will never come back like it used to because we have unleashed all these invasive weeds that take over all of these plants that were brought over. Some of them intentionally, some of them accidentally were brought be over. like the dandelions? Yeah, the dandelions were intentional. 
Okay. But stuff like crabgrass, okay. cheatgrass. Yep. That stuff is in cattle feed. That's how it wow. got here. Okay. So, but the dandelion was a medicinal herb and it was actually grown as a garden plant in the escape and now we always have it. It likes to stir habitats, which is why it's so common nowadays. But anyway, save the slipperiums and tall grass prairie plants. No, you're familiar with sunflowers, right? Yeah. Yeah. But those aren't the sunflowers I'm talking about. The sunflowers I'm talking about don't have very big flowers on them. They have yellow flowers. But usually they have big leaves and big stems and big roots, like the slipperium... Uh, Compass plant can have roots that are 15 feet deep and they can live for 100 years. Wow. Now, simply put, these plants will probably outlive you, but they're still a good garden plant because they're so rare. Um, they're good for goldfinches, they're good for bees, they're good for habitat restoration. They can get a little weedy at times, but if you give the seedlings to other people... That was the other door over there. Oh, I thought you... Yeah, let's just erase that part of it. Yeah. Anyway, um, there's several different types of slipperiums. There's compass plant, cup plant, prairie dock, rosenweed, and a few others that I don't know I'm familiar with. But yeah, there's this. Yeah, so tall grass prairie. What's the tall grass prairie? It's a plant. It's a grassland that has grass that can grow over eight feet tall. Okay. In some areas of the prairie, the grass stands so high that in order to see above it, you need to be on horseback. Oh, wow. Now, can you imagine having a sea of grass that stretched that far, almost that far, and being lost in it with uh, wolves? That tall? No. Yeah, that tall. <laughs> no. And being lost in it with, with wild animals like bear and wolf and coyote and fox. It was a scary time. Oh, but wow. they did manage to survive thanks to the Indians. The Indians helped the white settlers, and unfortunately the white settlers did not treat the Indians very well, and it's a history lesson, but yeah. what they don't teach you in school is that these plants are on the verge of extinction because of what we've done to them. Wow. And so is uh, the, uh, what was it, cat, cattail thing? Cattails were marsh plants. They're not in the prairie. They're not? As okay. Much, no. Okay. But there are marsh prairie plants, like... <coughs> Cup plant grows in wet areas. Okay. Most of the prairie was grassland, which is dry. But there are a few swamp plants that grew in the prairie, like, um, like turtlehead grows on the prairie. Yeah. Um, there's cactuses that grow on the prairie. Yeah, I noticed there's that. Yeah. There's orchids, yeah. too, like lady slippers grew on the prairie. Oh, lady slippers did. Okay. Yeah, there were cool. there were forest lady slippers and plains lady slippers. Like oh, wow. the white lady slipper and the fringed lady slipper and the fringed orchid. Those are all orchids that grow, but they're extremely wow. rare. They're protected. They're federally protected plants because yeah. of how rare they are. Yeah, I I heard that the orchids are going out of existence. Existence, yeah. yeah. Um, but there is hope in that there is a place called Vermont Lady Slipper Company where you can buy lab cultivated, not wild dog orchids, and they will give you um yeah, but um they they do a wonderful job of um breeding and 
domesticating to an extent what they can be domesticated wild orchids like that but um, you don't get fringed orchids those are too rare but you would get like some of those lady slippers that you would find in the woods or prairies but they cost 80 40 dollars a plant and you have to make sure you doctor the soil up really well and keep yeah. in mind that worms didn't exist in north america when the prairie was around oh okay. worms were brought over and okay. some birds have capitalized on it like robins and things like yeah. Um, another really good tall grass prairie plant is Indian grass. Have you ever heard of it? It's very beautiful. I've heard of it. Um, I just don't know exactly what color it is and what it looks it's like. It's got gold and red and and sort of like Indian corn. A little bit like Indian yeah. corn. It was, okay. It's named after the Indian headdress of okay. the Native Americans, like the warriors and the braves and all that. Yeah. Um. But it's a beautiful plant. It gets seven feet tall, so you want to make sure you have a... And you don't want to plant grass in areas where grass weeds are found because then the grass weeds and the grass plants will compete. And it's very, very hard to differentiate between a grass plant and a grass weed. I will yeah. tell you, though, most grass weeds do not clump. Most of them are mile a minute, runoff, rhizomes. Okay. Most native grasses clump, and they're really, really... Good. Now, if you have these plants, if you can, not always, but if you can, I suggest you burn them, like with fire. You burn them every spring. You burn off the dead growth. They come back better. Now, obviously, you can't do this in like a residential area or a community garden or anything like that because of how dangerous fire can be. But if you can get a prescribed burn, do it because there are horrible, horrible plants that invade prairies now, like garlic mustard and common buckthorn okay. and Eurasian honeysuckle and spotted nephew. Wow. So unless humans intervene, these plants will probably be extinct in another thousand years or eight, 500 years if people don't start domesticating them. Now, can they be domesticated? It depends. Some of them will never be domesticated, like the lady slippers. And fringe orchids are very, very rare and rely on protective preserves and people maintaining them. Yep. The prairie chickens will probably disappear unless the prairies are maintained because they require open land that isn't invaded by other plants. Now, is there a hope for a lot of these? Yes, in a garden. I wouldn't say in the wild because we've allowed the invasive weeds to overrun. Yeah. I mean, most areas of the world now have plants in them that were never found there that are choking and strangling out everything around them. Okay. So is it hopeless? No, because we can garden. We've domesticated the earth. God put us in charge of the earth in some way. Yeah. In some way. So if you can take a garden and grow them, then you can help those pollinators and butterflies and things like that. Will it ever be like what it was before? No, but at least you're trying to maintain the species. Yep. Yep. Um, another really good plant, now I don't recommend this for community gardens because deer love it to death, purple prairie clover. Okay. Purple prairie clover and white prairie clover are one of the few clovers we have in North America, Minnesota, that's legal. I mean, not, not legal, but native, I should say, yes, native. native, legal. Yeah. Well, there are actually laws now that say you can't plant buckthorn or plant Eurasian milk oil or all that. But, yeah. So, save the slipperiums and tall grass prairie plants. It can be done. It's a lot of work. It takes years to do. 
And there's a saying by a lot of plant enthusiasts, first year they creep, second, well, first year they sleep, second year they creep, and third year they leap. And then after that, they keep leaping. So it's, it's a process, restoring something back to the times before Europeans is a process because we've allowed the weeds to overrun and they're in the environment. They will always be in the environment. Now, the only way we can really get rid of weeds these days, is, I think, is to make genetically engineered copies of the weeds that sterilize other weeds and then they just remove those loose in special gardens. But that's a debate for another time. Will that work? I don't know. Will it harm? I don't know. But it's the only way because they're in the environment. Yeah. We spend six to seven billion dollars a year on invasive species. Wow. So it's a lot of money. And is it money that's used that's really working? No. The only way to really get it to work is if you garden yourself. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So save the slipperiums and tall grass prairie plants. That's a good debate. You can buy these plants at like the Friends Sale, Farmers Markets, Outback Nursery in Hastings, um, Prairie Moon Nursery in Winona, Highland Nursery has a few of them. There's mm -hmm. a lot of local nurseries you can go. Please, please do not go to Walmart or Home Depot. They do not have native plants. No. And the plants they have are probably treated with stuff to kill bees and other pollinators. So it's not a good idea to go to those places to buy plants because they're oftentimes treated. They're non-native. They could be another buckthorn or another purple loosestrife or another you know, invasive weed that takes over and kills them. Because, let's face it, there are hundreds and hundreds of plants in the nursery industry, and not many people test their invasiveness. Yep. So they just rhyme and reason and put them all around. That's why we have all these problems, yeah. because people brought them over hundreds of years ago. Yep. So, anyway, that's just a note saying on that. Do you have any questions about saving prairie plants? Uh, just that, um, just to have people remember to not go to the basically not go to stores but go to an actual nursery to buy these plants because yeah because I mean, nurseries are more well known yes, to have the correct well plant and the correct soil and it the, depends on the nursery i've seen okay. some, some nurseries do take natives from the wild i'm not going to say which ones do but if they're rescuing the plants that's a good thing but it's kind of differential you don't really know how they're rescuing them, or what the loose terminology is. But if they're promoting the conservation of native plants, that's yes. a good thing. Because they need all the help they can get in our city. Awesome. Um, the, again, these plants are not something you want to plant if you're going to rip it out in a year because they'll have very deep roots and they're very hard to move. So, yeah. Any other questions? That's it. All right, let's move on. The story of carp in the U.S., a riches to rags story. Have you ever wondered how carp got here? How did carp get here? Probably overseas. Yes, but not all. The buffalo, the sucker, the red horse, the drumlos are all rough fish species, but they didn't come. They used to just be here. They were native. Oh, okay. But the common carp, the mirror carp, the leather carp, the Asian big head and silver carp, those are all species that were brought over to this country. Some intentionally, actually all of them intentionally. The government once 
heard petition after petition after citizen screaming, begging them to bring over carp. We want carp. We want carp. We want to eat like royalty. We want carp. Yep. And they, for hundreds of years, that's what they heard. So they brought over carp, and they farmed them in ponds and gave them to the royalty and gave them around. The carp went down in price. The carp survived because of the actions of humans making the water muddy, making the water polluted, doing things to the water. It wasn't politically correct at the time to mention this, but we did a lot of bad things to the environment back in those times. Yeah. And it's a miracle we still have native plants and fish because of all the damage we've done. Um, but anyway, that's the riches of it. They were brought over because of how wonderful it was tasting. They're actually caught for pretty good tasting fish if they're taken from water that's clean. But if the water's dirty like it was in America, mm-mm, going to taste like mud. And so after a few hundred years, the carp became a trash fish and everyone hated it and it was rags. Really bad. But... In actuality, carp are probably the biggest fish you're able to catch in the city because we've depleted so many of the native fish. Yeah. And the native fish are so sensitive. Carp can live anywhere. A carp can be 30, 20 pounds. Easily. Wow. You've you got to go outside of the city to get a muskie or a northern that big. That's a bass true. that big. That's I caught a 20-inch bass once, but that was in Bemidji. Brainerd. That was like five hours out of the city. Yeah. So, carp. How do you catch them? How do you catch carp? Well, I know now with a fishing pole. <laughs> yeah, with a fishing a pole, net. but you got to have strong fishing pole, yeah. and you got to have strong line, too. Yeah. Carp can break things, and they run. They take a big, bam, freight train-like run when they're gone. Okay. And they'll nibble on corn and bread balls. And in Europe, carp are very, very popular fish. They can get, they can get to be 80, 70 pounds. Wow. Big fat carp. Yeah. Um, but like it or not, the carp are here to stay. We're always gonna have we're always gonna have carp. Mm-hmm. So we might as well make the best of it and say, hey, this is a sport fish. Actually, it can give you a fight. Its flesh can taste okay if taken from water. That's good. Smoked carp is very palatable for some Europeans and some Asian cultures. The carp is a symbol of strength and nobility in Asia. So it's got a lot of positive attributes. Now, carp aren't necessarily passionate when it comes to romance. They tend to ram the female into plant life and then eat the eggs. They don't really have any parental care. Like some of our native fish do have parental care, like bass and sunfish will take care of their young to an extent. But carp don't do that. They just let the eggs to chance. Every year, you see them spawning in the shallows, and that's what happens. But carp are very common. They're not going to die out anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Now, some carp, like the silver and big head carp, also known as Asian carp, they are making their way up the Mississippi, even as we speak. And they are trying everything in their power to stop the inevitable. Stop the carp from coming up to the Great Lakes. Stop them from coming up. Eventually, they probably will come, and that's going to be the death of the walleye fishing industry, unfortunately, the big game fish, because they can't compete with the Asian carp. The Asian carp steal all their food, destroy the ecosystem, destroy the food chain, they pull yeah. the water. Those are the bad carp. I would say that common carp and leather carp and mirror carp live in more of a balance with the ecosystem. Asian carp destroy it. 
But it's not the people's, all of the people's fault for building them here. I mean, there was catfish founders that dumped them in the 1980s when there was over flood and the floods came. But to point one group of people <coughs> as being solely responsible, that's kind of racist. Yeah. Um, but the Asian carp is actually prized in the state of Asia as a food fish. And they can't believe how big or how plentiful it is. And there's actually a restaurant industry struggling to make ends meet with all these carp. Because in Illinois and the South, they clog up rivers so much you can get thousands of pounds of fish. And they're wow. trying to make it marketable so people will eat them to extinction like we did with all the alligator gar and other yeah. fish. Yeah. Is it going to work? Probably not. I don't think most people will. Once they stay here, the word carp, they're not going to eat it. But it's good fertilizer. And, you know, yeah. it, does, it does taste good. Carp does taste good if taken from water, but there's a stigma with carp, just like there's a stigma with different groups of people that people just don't like them. Mm -hmm. So you and I both know about that. Yeah. So yeah. carp are here to stay, learn to live with them. Some of them are bad, some of them are good, but in the end, we're always going to have them. Good. All right, so we did Kakapo. Giants of the Mekong, the socialized of insects, silk moms in Minnesota, North America, save the Slipperians and tall grass turtles, the story of carp in the U.S., a riches to rags story. Anything else you want to talk about? That's it. It looks like we've uh, did a very good, extensive podcast. I kind of um, dominated, though. I'm sorry. I just know so much about no, this. No, no. I, I, I honestly like it because I learned some. Uh, the our listeners learned some good, and um, uh, I will definitely put this out, publish it, um, good, good. and send you the link. I'm just um, I like to engage my readers more and teach yeah. them, you know, and teach the listener. And sometimes I feel like I've overtook the show. I just no, know no, you did a great about, job. Yeah, thank you, thank you. you did a great I really job. appreciate yeah. it. I just know a lot about stuff, and I wanted to share. So yeah. Well, yeah, I like like Patrick is my cat expert you are my nature expert so anything cool. i have about nature i come to you okay, for an thank answer you, thank so yeah. um and then it's like with uh right, patrick cool. awesome, friend, awesome, he's, he's my so, cat yeah. expert so if i have anything about cats he will let me know so yeah it's always good to have people in high places i guess yeah well so much for your daily weird over and out over and out danny checking out bye